Well, friends, would you like to uh, take your seats again? And we'll move on with the message for this evening, which is Hebrews 13, living as followers of Christ. Back to the good old days. I wonder if you, how often you've heard that said. And maybe how often you've said it yourself. Maybe you're thinking about the days before we had COVID and things like that, or maybe even further back. Well, as we tend to look at the past, we look at it with rose-coloured spectacles very often, and we remember the good things, but we tend to forget the bad ones. When I first arrived in Tanzania in 1965 and sailed into the beautiful Dar es Salaam harbour, senior missionaries gave me a list of necessities, things that I would have to have in order to set up a home in the inland remote area where we were going. I remember two particular things on that list. One was a pressure cooker, which was absolutely essential to turn the local meat from shoe leather into something that could actually be chewed. The other thing was a kerosene lamp. Kerosene lamp. Well, I guess, like me, you've all grown up knowing that when the sun goes down and it gets dark, flick a switch on the wall and the house is flooded with brilliant electric light. Well, it wasn't quite that way in Tanzania. If there was any electricity, it wasn't very reliable, and you had to make it yourself, so you need a generator to make the electricity. You had to supply diesel to run the generator, which got a bit expensive. So electricity was a bit hit and miss, not always readily available. And so we needed to have kerosene lamps in order to be able to work our way through the, through the evening. Return to the good old days. Well, it's been a long journey since April 2018 when we had our first sermon in Hebrews. If, if you've been here that long, you might have seen, listened to the whole 10 sermons so far. This is number 11, and we'll be wrapping it up tonight. We've seen our writer, who, whose name we don't know, writing to a group of people that we don't know, but to people who were Jews, who'd become Christians, but were contemplating whether they'd made the right decision. And they were thinking of going back to their Judaism. For 1,500 years or so, the Israelites had followed the teachings of Moses. Now this group of people had decided to follow Jesus. Was it the right decision? It was a big challenge. It was a radical change for them. Or was it? Well, from the very first verse of Hebrews, the writer emphasises the fact that it wasn't a change, it was a progression. It was a development. 
It was progress. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. It's what was foretold way back in the days of Moses. Moses himself prophesied that there would be a new comer, a new prophet like himself, a Messiah who would come later on. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. All history looked forward to the coming of Jesus. All that God had said in the Old Testament points to him. Jesus is God's final word. The past is past. Don't think about going back again. Why would you want to? The light of Jesus eclipses that light of Moses, just as an electric light will drown out the kerosene lamp. The Old Testament was good. It was a message from God. But the New Testament message is better. And throughout the book, as we've been reading, he's been encouraging his readers about these points. And in chapter 12, which we looked at a couple of months ago, he emphasises the importance to keep on persevering with Jesus. Now we come to chapter 13, the last chapter. And here we get pointers on how to go about it, how to keep persevering with Jesus. So let's ask God to guide us through this chapter and help us to learn what he has to show, for, show us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the message of Hebrews. We thank you for the encouragement that it gives to be following Jesus and not looking back to other things. And we pray that as we see these guiding points on the way in which we follow Jesus, that you will help us to see them and apply them to our own lives and give glory to your name. We ask it through the name of Jesus. Amen. So, chapter 13, we're looking at characteristics of the followers of Jesus. And the first verse is, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Love is a very prominent thing in the scriptures, isn't it? And it's Jesus' command that we should love one another. Jesus said to his disciples, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And the disciple John wrote in his first letter, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no life, no love is still dead. An early church leader, Tertullian, commented that even the pagans noticed that Christians loved one another. He said, see, the pagans are saying, see how these Christians love one another. And he adds the comment, 
whilst they themselves hate each other. It was remarkable to see the love that Christians had for one another in that early church. John again in his first letter says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, let us show the truth by our actions. Love is rather a misunderstood thing. It doesn't mean liking. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to like anybody, but we are told to love them because love is something that we choose to do. It's something that we decide upon. We choose to love. And Jesus' followers should love one another. The next verse says, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realising it. Hospitality was a very important thing to ancient peoples, both to the Jews and the Gentiles. It was a vital thing in their culture. And I'm sure that as the writer of this book was writing these words, he was thinking back to one specific example in the Old Testament in the time of Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, where we read in Genesis 18, the Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. That's a message to us as we're reading Genesis. Abraham himself didn't know that. But one day Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. He didn't know who they were, but he immediately told his wife Sarah to go and get a meal ready to feed these strangers who'd suddenly appeared at the entrance to the tent. And he fed them. And it wasn't until much later that he discovered that one of them was, in fact, the Lord God who had come to appear to him. And at that time, God gave him a new promise, or not a new promise, reminded him of an old promise, that he would have a son and put a time, time on it this time, that it would be within the next year. Hospitality is important. How do you rate for hospitality? I suspect that in the next few weeks we'll be asked if we're prepared to put up a more college student for a week, just some of the week before Easter, when they come to conduct a mission for us. Well, we're not all in a position to be able to do that. If you are, will you? Are you hospitable? Jesus' followers should be hospitable. Moving on to verse 3, remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Remember those who are suffering. And we've already read a couple of, a few chapters earlier in chapter 10 that the people who were receiving this letter first 
had themselves been suffering persecution. Where we read in chapter 10, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. Sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken away from you, you accepted it with joy. Persecution was a very common thing in those early days and it hasn't changed much in the centuries since. Christians have been persecuted and Jesus warned us that we would face persecution for following him, for believing in his name. The ten most dangerous places in the world to be a Christian today, Afghanistan, since the Taliban came into power there, it's pushed North Korea into second place. It was at the top of the list a couple of years ago. In North Korea, it's believed that some 50 to 70,000 Christians are in prison for their faith. And then we've got a long list following Somalia, Libya, Yemen, Eritrea, Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, India, and the list goes on and on and on, where persecution is very much the norm in so many countries of the world. How blessed are we? Can you imagine, as we're sitting here this evening, through the doors come a squad of New South Wales police. Well, they're nice guys, aren't they? All armed with automatic weapons and they open fire and shoot us all. Couldn't possibly happen, could it? It's ridiculous. That's exactly what happened in North Korea in April of last year when a fellowship of Christians were gathered to worship and authorities invaded the worship place and killed them all. Thank God we don't face that sort of persecution. Can you imagine a convoy of trucks with full of armed men turning up at the school next door and abducting all the children? Have you got children in the school there? Can you imagine them being carried away? You know not where. That's happening in Nigeria again and again. Persecution is rife around the world, as it has been for centuries. Persecution comes in various forms as Islamic oppression, as Islamic extremists refuse to tolerate the existence of anyone who does not share their faith. Religious nationalism. If you don't belong to the right religion, then you're not a member of that country. Family oppression. In so many places, if a person becomes a Christian in a non-Christian family, they can be ostracised, they can be cast out, they can be beaten, they can be killed. Communist oppression, we've already heard a bit about that. Secular intolerance, that's something that 
we do face, and more and more we are facing in our own society, where if we do not follow the cultural norms of our society, well, we don't really fit in. We don't really belong. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember those who are being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Jesus' followers should be empathetic. Verse 4. Give honour to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. But we know that, don't we? Wouldn't happen in our churches, would it? Surely. But it does. It does happen in our churches. I remember with sadness in another church I attended, a very brave woman standing up one Sunday morning in church and announcing to the congregation that her husband, who was a prominent member of the congregation, a member of the parish council, a a frequent preacher in the church, had fathered two children by a work colleague and was engaged in this for several years and had only just been discovered. His wife and family were shattered, not surprisingly. But it happens in the churches. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Jesus' followers should be faithful. What about money? Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said... I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. God is what we need, not the money. We can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear what mere people can do to me. Paul again, writing to the Ephesians, refers to the love of money as greed. Greedy, a greedy person is an idolater. Worshipping the things of this world. Greedy people are never content. The love of money is a great evil. Paul again, writing to Timothy, writes this often misquoted verse. The love of money, not money itself, there's nothing wrong with money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the truth Faith, the true faith, and pierce themselves with many sorrows. Jesus' followers should put God first. Moving on, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. We ought to respect the leaders that teach us God's word and respect, the, and respect all that they're doing. Jesus' followers should respect leaders who teach God's word. Our next verse is perhaps one of the best 
known in the New Testament. I think Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. He doesn't change. So don't be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. Rules about food, of course, were part of the Old Testament law, and they also raised questions in the New Testament period as some people were concerned about the use of food and perhaps the sacrifice of food to idols and whether you could really afford, whether you could really go out to the market and buy meat because it might have been sacrificed to some pagan god. Rules about food don't help those who follow them. Jesus' followers are saved by grace. He looks back again to the Old Testament situation. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. In the old system, the priests who offered the sacrifices on the altar would be given some of the meat from the sacrifices as their payment, their due for their services to the community. But they have no right to eat from the new altar. We have an altar. What's that altar? The cross, of course. The cross of Christ. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin. And the bodies of the animals are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. Crucifixion was the most disgraceful and humiliating of execution methods reserved for the worst of criminals. But we share in his disgrace. Jesus' followers share Jesus' disgrace. But not forever. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. We're temporary residents. Don't get too attached to this world. We're here to do a job. You may remember words of Paul when he said that he would really love to go and be with Christ. That would be so much better than being in this world. But, he says, we've got a job to do here. And he could see that it was more important at that point in time that he continues to serve the people and continue on his missionary endeavours. We're only temporary residents. Jesus' followers are temporary residents. We've got a new home to go to. So therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Jesus' followers please God by our praise and our good works. We gather together this evening and every 
every week when we get together to praise God. And that pleases him. Moving on, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Well, we know that our spiritual leaders are human beings just like ourselves. We know they're not perfect. We know they're not infallible. So does this first mean that whatever sort of spiritual leader we have, we should do everything they say, we should obey them, we should follow them to the letter? Well, with every verse of scripture that we read, we have to read it in the context of the whole of scripture, the whole of the Bible. And what other messages do we see about leaders? Well, Paul writes to Timothy and to Titus and gives instructions to leaders about how they should behave. And it's quite clear from those instructions that leaders should be gentle, should be loving, should be caring, should not be dominating or controlling. And Jesus himself gives the last word on this one. He says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. That's what the world is like. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. We should obey our leaders and our leaders should be servant leaders in the image of Christ who gave his life as a ransom for many. Our writer goes on, give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. And as a Christian leader, he continues and asks for prayer. Pray for us, for our conscience is clear and we want to live honourably in everything we do. And especially pray that I will be able to come back to you soon. Jesus' followers should obey servant leaders and pray for them. Well, wrapping it up, we come to, towards the end of this chapter, towards the end of this book. And we come to a verse which is a, a great benediction of uh, this writer to the people. Now may the God of peace now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified in an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him, all glory to him forever and ever. Amen. A prayer to God the Father, 
the one who gives peace to his troubled followers, to those who are suffering in his name, whose power is seen in the resurrection, that same God who brought Israel up from Egypt, who commissioned Moses, and he now presents Jesus, the great shepherd, whose blood brings into effect an eternal covenant, a newer covenant which supersedes the old one and equips his people with all they need to do his will. That same spirit lives in us as we place our trust in Jesus. Jesus' followers should give God glory. And then there's a final message of encouragement as the writer comes towards the end, or comes to the end of his encouraging letter. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to pay attention to what I have written in this brief exhortation. I don't know quite how brief you would consider it, 13 chapters, but it was quite an exhortation. And it's something that he wants his readers to take great note of. I urge you to pay attention to what I have written. Well, Hebrews is a bit of a strange writing. It's not really a letter. It's more like a sermon. It doesn't start like a letter. You'll be familiar with Paul's letters. They always start with who he is and who he's writing to. But not this one. It doesn't tell us who the writer is. It doesn't have to tell us who the recipients were. But it ends a bit like a letter with some personal messages. And he writes, I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released from jail. If he comes here soon, I will bring him with me to see you. Timothy is almost certainly the same Timothy who was Paul's protege, the one that Paul wrote his letters to, and obviously known to the writer of Hebrews and to those who were receiving this letter. And the personal message. And to greet all your leaders and all the believers there. A demonstration of that first point that he made, the love for the brothers, the love for the brothers and sisters, the love expressed as one group of believers send their message of greeting to others. Well, so what? What does that mean to us? This is a very old letter. What are we to do with it? Well, the overarching message of this book, Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He is God's final message to all people. He is unchanging. Everything before him leads to him. Nothing goes beyond him. Don't try and go back. Don't go back to where you were before. Don't try to change or add to the message. He is unchangeable and the message that he brings is unchangeable. Follow his word and enjoy God alone. May God's grace be with you all. Amen.